So if you have a Bible, open it to Psalm 90, please. Psalm 90, 90. I'm going to read the whole psalm, which isn't long. Psalm 90 is the only psalm penned by Moses, as far as I know. As I've read through the Psalter, I I can't think of another psalm that has Moses as the author, but this is Moses' one psalm, Psalm 90. So let me read it to you, and then we will pray and meditate on it together. Psalm begins by saying, A prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our refuge in every generation. Before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from eternity to eternity, you are God. You return mankind to the dust, saying, Return, descendants of Adam. For in your sight a thousand years are like yesterday that passes by, like a few hours of the night. You end their lives. They sleep. They are like grass that grows in the morning. In the morning it sprouts and grows. By evening it withers and dries up. For we are consumed by your anger. We are terrified by your wrath. You have set our unjust ways before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days ebb away under your wrath. We end our years like a sigh. Our lives last 70 years, or if we are strong, 80 years. Even the best of them are struggle and sorrow. Indeed, they pass quickly and we fly away. Who understands the power of your anger? Your wrath matches the fear that is due you. Teach us to number our days carefully so that we may develop wisdom in our hearts. Yahweh, Lord, how long? Turn and have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your faithful love so that we may shout with joy and be glad all our days. Make us rejoice for as many days as you have humbled us, for as many years as we have seen adversity. Let your work be seen by your servants and your splendor by their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be on us. Establish for us the work of our hands. Establish the work of our hands. Father, this is our prayer. The prayer of Moses is our prayer. That this evening you would Teach us to number our days. We pray that you would have compassion on us in our suffering and affliction and trials. We ask that you would satisfy us this evening with your steadfast covenant love. We ask that you would make us rejoice for as many days as we have been humbled and in pain. We ask that you would open our eyes to see that you are working tonight Through the reading of your word, through the singing of your word, through the praying of your word, through the preaching of your word, through the meditating on your word, through the greetings we have with each other, you are working, Father. Let your work be seen by us, your servants. May we see your glory and be changed. We pray, Father, that your favor and your blessing would be on us, not because we deserve it, but because Christ 
deserves your favor. And we are united to him by faith. We pray now that you would help us to understand the psalm and that we would hide the psalm in our heart, that we wouldn't sin against you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Moses wrote this psalm. Now, if you remember Moses' ministry, his life breaks down into three equal parts. His first 40 years, he lived in Egypt and grew up under Pharaoh's daughter as Pharaoh's daughter's son. The next 40 years, he lived in the wilderness as a shepherd. When he was 80 years old, he saw a burning bush, talked to the burning bush because God was in the bush, and God told him to go go back to Egypt and redeem the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. So the next 40 years of his life would be spent with the Exodus, the 10 plagues, bailing them out of Egypt after that, and then getting to the edge of the promised land only to be denied because of the unbelief of the people to to wander 40 years in the wilderness and Moses was to die as well before they got into the promised land under the leadership of Joshua and so Moses wrote this psalm and we don't know at what point he wrote this psalm my guess is this is that this was maybe towards the end of his life or at least during the wilderness wandering years certainly he was a seasoned saint at this point, as he wrote this psalm. And so from here, Moses shows us three things. He shows us that God is eternal, humans are temporal, and therefore how we should pray. So if I had to summarize this psalm into one sentence, this is how I would summarize it. Because God is eternal, and we humans are so temporary, we ask God for five things to make our lives count. Five prayer requests to make our lives count, okay? Because God is eternal, it's the first major point, and we are so temporary, that's verses 5 through 10, we pray that our lives would count. That's verses 11 to 17, okay? So let's look at these things one at a time. First, that God is eternal, verses 1 through 4. In Psalm 90, verses 1 through 4, we learn that God is eternal. Look at verse 1 with me. It says this, Lord, you have been our refuge in every generation. Now, what is a refuge? A refuge is a hiding place, right? It's a safe place. When you have trials, when you have tribulation, when you're under attack, you go to your refuge. You go to your hiding place. You go to your safe house where the enemies and those that might be attacking you can't get to you because they can't break through the refuge. And who is Moses' refuge? God is. And who is the refuge for the people of God? God is our refuge and our strength. Just like Psalm 46 says. And he's not just the refuge for Moses. He's the refuge in every generation. So think about it. There weren't too many generations before Moses. Adam. Noah. Just to give you a few main people before Moses. Adam. You were the refuge for Adam. You were the refuge for Noah. You were the refuge for Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And now you're the refuge for us when we were in Egypt for 400 years. Now you are our refuge. Every generation you have been our refuge. But we can go farther than Moses now in 2015, right? Moses is writing this around 1400 BC. It's been 3400 years since Moses wrote. Is God still the refuge of his people for these past 3400 years? Absolutely. He was the refuge for Joshua after Moses died. 
He was a refuge for David in the the United Kingdom, and Josiah in the Divided Kingdom, and Ezekiel and Daniel in the exile, and Zerubbabel and Ezra and Nehemiah when they returned from the exile. He was their refuge. And then he was Jesus' refuge. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, they said, let him call out to God. You know, if God, if he's really a person of God, let God deliver him. And, And Jesus had his refuge in God. Not only Jesus, what about after Jesus ascended? Was, was God the refuge for the apostles? Absolutely. All 12, all 12 apostles after, after uh, Judas was replaced by Matthias. What about after the apostles died? Did God stop being the refuge during Bible times or is he still the refuge today? He's still the refuge today. And all throughout history, we're not like the Mormons who believe that God left and then in the latter days he came back. That's why there's the latter day saints. And there's this big gap in history where God was not the refuge of his people. Throughout every generation, God has been the refuge. For Justin Martyr and Augustine and Luther and the London Baptists in the 1600s and John Bunyan of London Baptist at the end of the 1600s and Jonathan Edwards in colonial America and George Whitfield and Charles Spurgeon in the 1800s and James Boyce in the 1800s, one of the first Southern Baptist leaders of our convention and Billy Graham. And our parents, what about your parents? Do you have Christian parents? Was he the refuge of your Christian parents and grandparents? Will he be the refuge of your children and grandchildren? When we're long gone, will God be our refuge still? Yes, he is the refuge in every generation. Look at verse 2. So God, is, he's been around for every generation. Verse 2, before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from eternity to eternity, you are God. Before God said, let there be light, and there was light, God has always been God. How long did God exist before he said, let there be light? For an eternity. He has no beginning. There's a whole eternity before creation. If you could think of eternity and time and kind of jumble those things together. If, you're, if your brain hurts, that's okay. It doesn't, it's not supposed to be super logical and, and able to understand. From eternity to eternity, God was there. In John 17, when Jesus is praying, he says, Father, restore to me the glory I had before the world began. So there's the Son with the Father and the Holy Spirit forever. Can you imagine? A whole non-universe. Nothing existing in it. Nothing exists at all except God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit forever. They're just hanging out together, communing, enjoying each other. Actually, that's, why, that's how the world began. If you want to know how the world began or why the world began, why did God create this world? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit rejoicing in each other so much, it spills over out of joy into the creation where they make humanity to join them in celebrating their glory. God didn't create because he was needy and lonely. God created out of the fullness of joy. When you get so happy and you just have to call people and share it and just have to share what you saw, that's how God was with himself. So excited that he had to share it. And now here we are worshiping him. And when when Christ comes again, we will celebrate with him in the new heavens and new earth, sharing and seeing his glory forever. And that was the original design. But for eternity to eternity, God is God. This means that God is eternal. He has no beginning and he has no end. But we're not like that. Look at verse 3. Here's a contrast. You return mankind to the dust, saying, return descendants of Adam. So we return to the dust and we die, but God is eternal. In verse 4, the next verse... It says, in your sight, a thousand years are like yesterday that passes by, like a few hours of the night. Be careful here not to equate 
a day with a thousand years. If you look at 2 Peter, turn in there if you want in your Bible to 2 Peter chapter 3. It's at the very end of your Bible, just before Revelation, a few pages before Revelation. Right before 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, you have 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. Look at 2 Peter 3, 8. It says, Dear friends, don't let this one thing escape you. With the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. The Lord does not delay His promise, as some of you delay, as some of you understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. Verse 10, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. On that day, the heavens will pass away with a loud noise. The elements will burn and be dissolved, and the earth and the works on it will be disclosed. 2 Peter 3, verses 8 through 10. Okay? And so you see here, in second, uh, Peter's writing in the context of Christians being attacked by non-Christians. Because we say, judgment is coming. Don't we say that? Judgment is coming. And is judgment coming? Is judgment coming soon? Yes, and that's what we say. And so non-Christians are saying, you keep saying judgment is coming. John, Peter was saying that. It's been 2,000 years. You really think, you guys still think judgment's coming? You really think Jesus is still coming back to judge the world? Really? And so Peter's answering that objection. God isn't delaying because he's lagging. A thousand years to him is like what? Like a day. And a day is like a thousand years. And so don't, don't use this as a simple mathematical equation. 1,000 years has been a day. So it's been 2,000 years since Jesus rose from the dead, 33 AD. So how many days has it been for God? Almost two days. That's not, don't do the math that way. That's not the point because it's not only saying 1,000 years is like a day. It also says that, or it says here, a day is like 1,000 years and 1,000 years is like a day. It goes both ways. So one day for us is like 1,000 years to God as well. In other words, God is timeless. God, not only, God created time. God exists above time. For him, 2015 is the same thing as 33 AD, in a sense. He doesn't exist within time. Time is his creation. God is above time. He is over time. So as we go through our trials in our lives, we're like, oh, this is so long. And it could be very long from our perspective, rightfully so. But to God, we're like a blip on the screen. And to God, when you are, your birth date and your death date are like... Almost the same thing to him. He exists above time. He's timeless in that regard. And so we contrast the eternality with God, going back to Psalm 90, with the temporariness of humanity. Look at Psalm 90, verse 5. Now we look at us. What does God do to us? You end their lives, they sleep, they are like grass that grows in the morning. In the morning it sprouts and grows. By evening it withers and dries up. How many, how many batches of grass, or how many blades of grass that have been fully grown has Al cut down and Tony cut down and Jerry cut down from the work days here, just over the years of how many, how many generations of grass have you just have sprouted up, cut down. Next batch of grass, cut down. That's what humans are like. That's what our lives are like. We're like grass. You sprout up, mow the lawn, you're gone. Next batch comes up. You mow the lawn again. And that's, that's how short our lives are. It's like sprouting grass that grows. And God is the one who ends our lives. Why does God end our lives, according to verse 7? Why? Why does He end our lives? For we are consumed by your anger, and we are terrified by your wrath. Why do we die? Why are we like grass that dies? Because the wages of sin is 
death. And what did God say to Adam and Eve in the garden? In the day you eat of this fruit, you will surely die. Sin causes death. And so why will our old flesh die? This is our old body, right? You got saved, you got converted, but you still kept your old body. You didn't get your glorified body yet. This body will die because it's sin. I mean, you know, I don't want to make a dualistic like you have sin in the soul. We're, we're one person. Don't split yourself up. But this body is a body of death. This is a corruptible body, as it says in 1 Corinthians 15. So why are we going to die? Because we're sinners. Now, Romans 8, 1, there's therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. He took it all on the cross for us. But just like Christ died, we will die in him as well. We will die unless Christ comes again. Praise God, that last generation gets to not die. Like Elijah, right? That would be nice to get raptured. We, we would hope that that would be our generation. And we should wait for that, long for that. But it's, it's also likely that we can die before Christ comes again. And if so, why do we die? Because of sin. Because of sin. Because we are sinners. And, and it's because of God's judgment on sin. Look at verse 8. Not only are we like grass that dies because of sin... You have set our unjust ways before you and our secret sins are in the light of your presence. Here's another reason why we die. Because our sins are right in front of God. Right? In verse 8, it's right in front of him. What about your secret sins? Where are those? In the light of his presence. You have two images here. When you think of light, what what, what senses do you think of? Hearing, seeing, tasting. What, What do you think of? With light. Sight, right? So in other words, with sight, God sees... Your sin, your secret sins. He sees it. It's in the light. But it's not just that he sees it. It's in the light of his what? In verse 8. The light of his presence. So why does God know every single sin you've ever committed? Because he has seen it with his eyes. Why else has God seen and know? Why why else does he know every single sin you've ever committed? Because he was there. He was there. He is there. In your room. In that closed conversation. He's there. He's there. It's not private. None of your sins are private. All of them are in the presence of God. In the light of his presence. And that's why we die. Because all of our sins, right there it says, our unjust ways are before him, our secret sins in the light of his presence. Verse 9. For all our days ebb away under your wrath. We end our years like a sigh. This world is cursed. We sigh and groan as we grow older and approach death. Verse 10, how long are our lives? Our lives last 70 years, three score and 10. Is that what it says in the King James Version? Right, Three score and 10. And if, or if, if we are strong, four score, 80 years, even the best of your years are a struggle and sorrow, aren't they? Even in the prime of your health, life is still hard. And then when you're not in the prime of your health, life is hard, even harder. But it doesn't matter whether you're in the prime of your health or you're past the prime of your health. Life is hard. Life is hard. Even the best of them are struggle and sorrow. Indeed, they pass quickly and we fly away. I know a little bit of this. Not as much as you brothers and sisters who are older than I am. But, you know, for me, I'm just learning it more and more as I see my kids grow. You know, it's just like what happened to yesterday? What happened to last year? What happened to two years ago? It's like you blink and they're, you know, 10 years old, you blink, they're in college, you blink again, maybe they're married, and you blink again, and then you're 
you have grandkids and then you blink again and you're gone or something like that. You know, like life is, what does James say? Life is like a what? Like a vapor. Like a vapor, you know. If it was cold and you go, and you see your breath and it just goes away, that's your life. It's that quick. And so here it is, 70, 80 years, struggle. Verse 11, who understands the power of your anger? Your wrath matches the fear that is due you. Why does God limit our years to 70 or 80? Do you remember why? Anyone remember a Bible verse? Why God limited our years? Do you remember that humans used to live longer than 70 or 80 years? Who's the oldest man in the Bible? Bible trivia. Methuselah, how old was he? 969. How old was Adam when he died? 930, right? Why, why, why are we not living that long anymore? You know why? Genesis 6.5 tells us why. You could turn there now. Genesis 6.5. Why don't we live that long? Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. Why is it only 70 and 80 and then God wipes us out? It says in Genesis 6, is it 6-5? Oh, no, I'm sorry, not 6-5. We've got to go higher. 6-3. Genesis 6-3. And the Lord said, My spirit will not remain with mankind forever, because they are what? They are what? Flesh or corrupt. Their days will be how long? 120 years. And then you jump down to verse 5. When the Lord saw that man's wickedness was widespread on the earth and every scheme his mind thought of was nothing but evil all the time. Remember we talked about that this morning, our evil hearts, evil thoughts all the time. Verse six, the Lord did what? He regretted that he was sorry that he made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. Then the Lord said, I will wipe off the face of the earth mankind whom I created together with animals, creatures that crawl, birds of the sky, for I regret that I made them. Noah, however, found favor in the sight of the Lord. Why are our lives no longer 969 years or 930 years or Noah's 700 or 800 years? Why not? God will no longer contend with man that long. If you think about it, all of our days are filled with sin. Now, we have a lot of good works. We're going to talk about those good works by the end. But we are sinners. And so God has shortened our lives. He's not going to strive with us for 900 years. He's just not going to do it with you, PJ. Gotta, your life is cut short. You're not going to live 900 years and strive with me that long. And so our lives are cut short. Going back to verse 10 or verse 11. So verse 11 talks about God's anger. It's basically God's response. Why are our lives cut short? Because of our sin. And God has a tolerance level. And it's not with you personally. Don't say, well, so are you saying that God's just mad at me and that's why I'm going to die? No, it's not just personal, though our sins are personal. It's, we're in Christ now, so we're forgiven. There's no condemnation for us. But we're still in this old curse, cursed earth. We're still in an old cursed body, and so we will die. You will die. And so, if God is eternal and our lives are temporal, how should we pray? What should we pray for? How do we make our lives count? If, if, our lives, if our lives are literally a vapor and then we're gone, how do we make our lives count? What should we pray for? Five prayer requests in verses 11 to 17. I want you to see these five prayer uh, verse, verses 12 to 17. Verse 12 being the first prayer request. What's the first prayer request in verse 12? Teach us to what? Number our days carefully so that we may develop wisdom in our hearts. 
In other words, let, uh, let, let's, let our lives do what? Let our lives count. Let every day count for eternity. Gladiator, one of my favorite movies. Have you seen Gladiator? Maximus, right? He's giving a speech to his army right before they're about to go into battle in the very beginning. And he says, what we do in life echoes in eternity. And it's true. Whether you're in hell or heaven, what you do in life will echo in eternity. So make your life count. God, teach us to make our days count. Help us to not waste our time. Teach us to number every day so that we may get a heart of wisdom. Because when you don't number your days, you live carelessly. And if you live carelessly, you live foolishly. And that's why Ephesians 5 says, let us walk carefully. Let us be careful how we walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of the time or redeeming the time because the days are evil. If you let your schedule just drift, and if you let your time and your days just drift, you will not drift into righteousness. You will not drift into good works. You will not drift into evangelism. You will not drift into loving your neighbors. You will drift into sin and laziness and negligence and self-centeredness if you don't count your days, if you don't number your days. And so the prayer before God, teach us to number our days because if I'm numbering my days, it's going to make me ask for wisdom and we will get a heart of wisdom. That's the first prayer request. God, make every day from August 2, 2015 until the rest of my life, whether it's five years or five days or five or 50 days or 50 years, make my life and every day in my life count. Make tonight count. Make tomorrow count. That's the first prayer request. Now, Moses got this because, remember, when he was wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, everyone who was 20 years and older had to what? Had to die. That's about one million people. Or that's only one million men. Or that's the men who were in the army, I think. I'm not sure now. I've got to go back to Exodus to, to recheck my count. It might be a million or two million people. Can you imagine a million people dying in 40 years as you wander around the desert? You know how many people Moses is seeing die a day? If it's a million people in 40 years? 25,000 a year. That's a lot of funerals, right? 68 funerals a day. If it's proportionate, now it's not. Sometimes there was a ground that opened up and killed 16,000 in one moment. But proportionately, 20, you know, funerals every day for 40 years, you think that they would learn how to make their days count as they're seeing all these people die around them as they just wander back and forth in the wilderness, right? Teach us to number our days. Secondly, second prayer request in verse 13. First, it starts with a question. Lord, how long, how long turn and have compassion on your servants? Turn and have compassion on us. I like that. Turn and have compassion on your servants. Now, this is speaking of the, of the suffering and the grief of life. Are some of you weary? Some of you tired in life? And you're saying, Lord, how long? That's an okay question to ask. That's a biblical question to ask. How long, Father, do I have to tolerate this cursed world and this cursed body and my own sin in my own heart? How long, O oh Lord? How long? And so what's the prayer request when you're grieving and when you're just feeling weary? Turn and have compassion on your servants. Ask God to be compassionate to you. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He's compassionate towards us. Cast your cares on him because he what? Cares for you. So ask him. That's the second prayer request. Third prayer request is in verse 14. What's the third prayer request? If you're going to make your life count. Satisfy us in the morning with your faithful love so that we may shout with joy and be glad all our days. I love this prayer request. 
You, you hear me pray this a lot, probably, from the pulpit. Satisfy us in the morning. I said in the evening tonight because it's the evening. But satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love so that we may shout for joy or rejoice and be glad in you all of our days. What a wonderful prayer request. To be happy in God. Look at verse 15. Make us rejoice for as many days as you have humbled us, for as many years as we have seen adversity. I like this. Be happy in God. You know what George Mueller said? George Mueller was a great um, Christian in the 1800s in England who started several orphanages. You should read his autobiography. He was a prayer warrior. He journaled every single prayer request and every single answer to prayer. He prayed for one of his friends for 50 years. And the person came to Christ after George Mueller died. He was a prayer warrior. And, And he says, the number one job, he says, the number one priority in my life in the morning as soon as I wake up is to get my soul happy in God. Doesn't your morning set your tone for your day generally? Not always, but generally, right? Our brother Jim said that a few weeks ago or on, on a Sunday morning here, but that's true. If you're, hap- if you're made happy in God in the morning, doesn't that just delight you throughout the day? Your joy in God? So you meditate on God's word? John Piper says, when he wakes up in the morning, he feels like the devil is sitting on his face. I like that. That's true. You know, like you don't feel like reading your Bible in the morning. You wake up and what comes into your mind? Just all the to-do list of the day, right? Sorry, I don't know why I have all these movie analogies in my head. I'm thinking, have you seen The Matrix? Maybe you haven't seen The Matrix. When, when Neo realizes his power, they're shooting bullets at him and he could avoid the bullets, but then he starts to realize how powerful he is. And as the bullets are coming at him, he just stops the bullets and freezes them. That's how I try to feel in the morning. Like I feel like all these bullets are coming at me in the morning of all these things I have to do. And I just want to be like, stop for 30 minutes. No bullets are coming in. I need to get with God. I need to get my soul happy in God. Father, satisfy me in the morning because my, my heart is not happy in you right now. I just woke up. The pressures of the day are coming. Satisfy me in the morning with your steadfast covenant love, the love that comes through Christ's death and resurrection for us. The covenant love. Satisfy me with your faithful covenant love. Put, put my eyes on the cross again this morning so that I might feel your love and then be filled with a heart of love and joy so that I could love others well. Satisfy me in the morning with your steadfast love so that I would shout with joy all my days. I want to I be happy in this life. Now there's pain and there's tears, but I want to be happy in God in the middle of pain and tears. And so pray this prayer. That's the third one. Pray for joy and satisfaction. Notice verse 15 says, Rejoice for as many days as I've suffered. And you will. When when Christ comes again, we will rejoice for all the days we suffer on this earth. Fourth prayer request. Verse 16. Let your work be seen by your servants and your splendor by their children. So don't only teach me to number my days and have compassion on me and satisfy me, but now give me eyes to see. I want to see your work, Father, I want to see your glory. You know why we need, it? we need this prayer? Because God is working all the time. And we see 0.01% of it. If you saw all of God, God's works that he was doing this morning, you would be over, you'd be overflowing with joy. Our, our issue is that we don't see God working in people's lives. And so we need, to, we need to pray that God would give us eyes to see God working. Did you, see, did you see any love this morning? Did you see anyone loving other people? Did you see any joy this morning? Any peace? Any patience? Kindness? Goodness? Faith? 
Faithfulness, gentleness. Do you see any gentleness this morning? Do you see anyone self-controlled this morning? That's the fruit of the what? Spirit. So who's the one doing it? The Spirit, right? The Spirit working in them against the flesh. Who's working in their lives? God is. Were you moved to any of those fruits this morning? Who did that in you? God. But if we don't have eyes to see it, we don't recognize it, we don't praise Him. That's why lately, I don't know if you, for those of you who've been here for prayer time, how do we start our prayer time now? With ten what? Ten praises, right? Ten blessings. Why? We're just training our eyes to see. There are, there's more than ten things we could praise God for, but let's at least, let's at least have ten. Right? Let's have, at least have ten. God, open our eyes to see your work. Let us see your splendor. We want to see your glory. Pray that prayer. God, open my eyes to see your work in my wife's life, in my husband's life, in my family's life, in my church's life, in my neighborhood. Help me to see, even in the culture, with all the bad things happening, help me to not be so overwhelmed with all the truly negative things happening that I miss your grace in this world. You are working. You are working. Help me to see it. That's the fourth prayer request. Give me eyes to see. So teach us the number of our days. Have compassion on us in our suffering. Satisfy us in the morning. Give us eyes to see your work. And lastly, number five, verse 17. Let the favor of our God be on us. Establish the work of our hands. Establish the work of our hands. What's the prayer request here? Bless me. Give me your favor as I do what? As you establish my what? Work. What do we have to do? Why did God not take you to heaven yet? Why are you not dead yet? Because you still have what? Work to do. Brothers, sisters, you hear that? Ephesians 2.10 says, it says in 2.8 and 9, you're saved by grace through faith, not of works. You're not saved by works, Ephesians 2.9. But what does Ephesians 2.10 say? Why did God save us? For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. And once your works are done, then you can die. You cannot die until your works are done. So finish your works. Don't you want to go to heaven already? Don't you want to be with Jesus? Like Paul said in Philippians 1, far better to be with Christ than to be on this earth. Why am I still stuck here? Because I still got to do stuff for you. And he wasn't mad about it, but he was just torn. Because I still got to do work. So Lord, bless my work. Establish the works of my hands. You have all of these works prepared for me to walk in. Help me to walk in them. Every Sunday you have works prepared to do. Who did God have you talk to today? They were prepared for you. Who do you have to talk to on your way out? This week, who are you going to see? What thoughts are you going to be thinking? You have works prepared for you to walk in. God, bless me and establish my works so I can do them. That is, that, so that's Psalm 90. And this really is the prayer of Jesus. Jesus knew the eternality of God. Now, can you imagine Jesus who lived for all eternity and now going to live for 33 years? What kind of experience is that like? You've been God of the universe, and now you have to live in time, and you're going to live 33 years, or 35 years. I think he was about 35 or 36 when he died, 33 AD. But that's still, that's got to be strange, right? You've been the God of the universe, now you've got to live a short time, and you know you're going to die. And so, do you think, I, I think these five prayer requests could be the prayers of Jesus while he lived on earth. God, make my days count. That's why he said, I only say what the Father tells me to say. I only do what the Father tells me to do. I make every day count. And when Jesus was suffering, did he ask God for help? Did he ask God for compassion? Yes. Did, God, did Jesus get away with God to have his heart satisfied in God? Did he pray? Did Jesus get away to pray on his own and read, read the scriptures and, and be happy in God? Yes. Did God see God's work in the world? Did he have eyes to see? Yes. And did God bless the work of Jesus? And did God establish the work of Jesus? Yes. Why are you sitting here today? 
Because God blessed the work of Jesus. We wouldn't be Christians. There would be no Christianity if God didn't bless the cross work of Jesus Christ. And so just like Moses prayed, just like Jesus prayed, now we pray based on the cross for God to make our lives count because our lives are short and God alone is eternal. Let's pray. Father, we pray that as we finish up this vapor of a life, some of us are halfway through our vapor. Some of us are two-thirds way through our vapor. Some of us are a day away from our vapor, perhaps. I could die tomorrow. I could die tonight. Any of us could die tonight. Death is no respecter of age. And so, Father, we want our days to count. We don't want to waste time, your time. And so, Father, we take our eyes off this temporary world and our temporary lives and we look at the God who sits on the throne from eternity to eternity and we say, Father, satisfy us this evening with your steadfast love. Teach us to number our days. Give us compassion in our suffering. Bless the work of our hands. Give us eyes to see your work in this world. Make us a blessing to others, we pray. Thank you for Moses' life. His life certainly counted. And we want our lives in Christ to count as well by your Spirit's power. So help us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.